0: Okay, so today's dab is Samechet. We are going to be on Samech Zayin bet We are about, uh, I would say, uh, seven lines from the bottom, looks like. Hahu Yanuka. It's a store, A couple of uh, cases. Yanuk is Tinuk. So ha Yanuka, a child, the Ishtapich So this is talking about a baby that uh, was having its brit milah. And uh, one of the things that they always needed to have on hand for a baby's brit milah was warm water to wash the baby afterwards and all that. Uh, they had certain things that needed to be done, and it was considered really a... Uh, uh, a serious concern to have everything in place for the, for the baby. So it says here, they wanted to do the Brit Milara, she says. So they heated up water, of course, before Shabbat that they were holding and it spilled, you know, it got knocked over, it spilled. So the question was, what to do? So, uh, so they, they asked Rabbah, Rabbah was there. Rabbah said to them, just bring the water from my house, no problem, I have hot water. Go to my house. Now they didn't have like plugged into the wall. You know, it's not like uh, we have. We think, oh, how could you bring the hot water that's plugged into the wall? They had, you know, something over the fire that they kept throughout Shabbat, uh, and they would take it and and they'd bring the pot from there, and it's no problem. says, we don't have an eruv Chatzerot in our chaser." They were so the the problem was that they couldn't. Uh, uh, they, uh, and Rashi says, We're going to see this in another story that they were in different chatserot, but here they're in the same chatser. So he said, Come to my house, I'm in the same chatserot. He said, We don't have an Erobei chatserot, and if you don't have an Erobei chatserot, you're not allowed to carry from your house objects into the chatser. The Gemara later we will discuss why it was that Rabba wouldn't have an Erobei chatserot, but he didn't. So he said, Okay, Amale." said to him, Okay, so fine, so we'll rely on the fact that there was a shituf, that all of the chatserot that opened into the common alleyway, the common mavoi, made a shitufe mavoot, and therefore, even though we didn't make an individual eruv Chatserot for our, uh, we didn't make an Eruv Chatserot for our individual Chatser, but we can rely on the fact that all of the Chatserot united together in the mavoi, and that kind of like assumes that we're all one, we're all one big happy family. So it says, no, but we didn't do that either. We didn't make a shituf either. So Rabbi obviously doesn't know uh, all the practical things that are going on because he's not aware that they didn't have Iru they didn't know they didn't have a shittuf. Okay. So he said, <laughs> So he said, Why don't you just tell a non Jew then to bring it from my house? So that we'll do that. So Amar says, <laughs> I wanted to, add, to to object to this suggestion as well. But Rav Yosef wouldn't let me, Rav Yosef was the teacher of Abba. Yes. So Rabbi Yosef who said to me be quiet already, you know, enough, enough objections let it go because Rabbi Yosef said in the, in the name of Rabbi that when we used to learn that Rabbi Yosef he would say to us when it comes to matters of biblical significance, if there is a a suggestion put forth or a ruling given, we first question it and analyze it and object to it from every angle and only then, avdinan say, only then do we do something. Meaning we make sure that we are 100% sure before we proceed. In a rabbinic matter where it's not as strict, if an authority gives a ruling, uh, such and such is okay, we don't have to analyze it from every single angle before we decide to do it. We can do it and then figure out whether there were any problems later. Because the worst comes to worst, we violated a rabbinic prohibition, so it's not. Um It's not as serious, it's not as severe. Now, obviously, if there were already objections on the table, you have to answer them, but we can't just make up any opinion and follow it and say, well, it's only a rabbinic rule. But since it's a rabbinic rule, we can first act and later question. We don't have to work out all the details right now. So therefore, I didn't say anything. We went and we I guess they called the non-Jew. But afterwards, they asked, what did you want to to object to the third suggestion, which was to have a non-Jew bring the water? He says, because we learned in a bright time, we have a means sprinkling the water of the para aduma on a person who is uh, mit? Hazaa. So Hazaa is something that they didn't perform on Shabbat. So let's say, for instance, really you're supposed to, if you become Tameh, uh, mit, you're supposed to have on the third day, Vayoma Shilishi, Bayoma you're supposed to have it on the first, on the third day and the seventh day from when you came into contact with the Tumat. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do it right afterwards, because let's say the person became Tameh and they don't want to become Tahu right away, uh, but whenever you start the procedure, so you have a, you count three days, the third day have the you have the, uh, uh, you know, you have the first uh, application of the Parah and then the seventh day you have the application of the Parah So the point is that you have a third and a seventh. What if one of those days falls out on Shabbat, right? And more practically speaking, what if, like uh, this coming year, we have Erev Pesach Shechal Shabbat? So Hev Bezuch Shechal Shabbat means that the Korban Pesach was actually being offered on Shabbat itself. Now let's say a person really wants to be able to offer the Korban Pesach. Rashi says, Even if a person uh, has a mitzvah ahead of them that they want to do, and this is their only opportunity to finish the Parah aduma, is going to be if they have the Parah aduma ashes on that day. Now it turns out that actually technically if you finish your Hazaah, your seventh day on uh, on Shabbat or on Erev Pesach itself you actually can't bring the Korban Pesach that same day it would have to be at least the day before so let's imagine that, that actually Erev Pesach fell on Sunday so you're, you're going to have to bring the Korban Pesach on Sunday you, that your last chance to have the completion of the process is going Shabbat. to be on Shabbat you can't do it even though it's a mitzvah even though it's a mitzvah you can't do it Okay, and, 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 and telling a non-Jew to do something for you in other words sprinkling parah ashes on you is not a malachah it's not really a violation of Shabbat but the rabbis prohibited it. They also prohibited telling an jew to do things. Just like the sprinkling of is not allowed on Shabbat, even in a case where it's going to end up causing you to miss out on a mitzvah, like bringing in the Korban Pesach, so, so even though we're talking about a mitzvah, we have to have this hot water in order to do the Brit Milah on the baby. They won't do the Brit Milah on the baby if they're not going to be able to wash the baby afterwards. So they're going to have to push off the Brit Milah to the next day. Still, uh, so they have to bring it. So still, though, you're not allowed to violate a rabbinic rule in order to do a mitzvah. So how could it be that you're going to tell the non-Jew to bring the water on Shabbat? He said, There's a difference between a Shavuot, between a rabbinic prohibition that involves actual action, such as sprinkling the ashes of the Paraduma, and something which is just speech alone. You didn't go tell the non-Jew to heat up water on Shabbat. You just told them to bring something from your house on Shabbat. Now what's the difference? The Reef explains, and really this is codified in the Shulchan Aruch as well, that there's a difference between, and whether you ask a non-Jew to do something which is, which is, which is uh, biblically prohibited for you to do. For example, if you ask the non-Jew to heat up water for you on Shabbat, that's more serious than if you ask the non-Jew to perform uh, an action which is asur midrabanan. If you if he, you ask, it's already rabbin, only rabbinically prohibited to ask the non-Jew to do a m'lacha for you on Shabbat. So if you're asking the non-Jew to do something which itself is only rabbinically prohibited, so it's doubly removed from any biblical transgression because you're asking the non-Jew to do something which is already only rabbinic if he does it for you, and and you're only asking him to do a rabbinic thing. So you're asking him to carry something in a chacer that does not have an erovei That's only rabbinically prohibited. That's called shavut deshvut b'makom mitzvah. That's called having a double rabbinic uh, rule in, a, in, in a, a, a double rabbinic violation in the case of mitzvah, meaning you're, you're asking a non-Jew to do a rabbinically prohibited thing and you're doing it for the sake of a mitzvah. In that case, we're lenient, according to that's how we, we rule in the Shulchan There is another opinion here that says, no, that any time you ask a non-Jew to do something, if it's for a mitzvah, it's okay. Even if you ask him to heat up the water on Shabbat, it would have been okay. And they don't have this line in the Gemara here that says you didn't ask him to heat up the water, so what's the problem, right? They have, there's two different manuscripts of the Gemara. But the one that's taken in Shulchan Aruch, the one that we accept, is that you're allowed to ask a non-Jew to do something which is only rabbinically prohibited if there's a mitzvah involved. And that's why I told them there's a difference between asking the non-Jew to, uh, between doing haza'ah, between doing a sprinkling of the parah aduma ashes, which you're not asking a non-Jew to do, a, a Kohen is doing it. Right, so uh, so obviously, uh, or you know, so obviously, the the application of the paraduma Duma to, to a person is an action that they're doing. So we can't allow them to violate w- with their hands a rabbinic prohibition for the sake of a mitzvah. But to ask a non Jew to violate a rabbinic prohibition for a mitzvah, okay? And that's a conclusion. They said uh, uh, you have a neighborhood here with two big rabbis. Abaye lives here, and Rabbah lives here, and they don't have a neiro Nobody made nobody made shituf, they're not able to carry into the courtyard, nobody bothered to, uh, to do this, what's going on? So, he said, listen, what are we going to do? The master, meaning Rabbah, who was, the, was older than Abaye, Abaye is the student of Rav Yosef, and Rav Yosef and Rabbah are colleagues. Okay, because it always says, Rav Yosef, a lot of times Rabbah and Rav Yosef issue joint statements, right? So Rabbah and Rav Yosef are from the same generation. Okay, and Abayez is the next generation. So he says, listen, the master, meaning Rabbah, who is an elder to me, he can't go around collecting food from people's houses to make Eruvei Chatserot. So uh, he's not going to do that. It's not, his, it's not proper dignity. Ana, bigir sai, I... Um, uh, you know, I, I'm busy learning. I don't have time to go around begging everyone to participate in the Eruv every week. Inu lo And nobody else cares in the neighborhood that lives in our chacer. Uh, they're not paying attention. He says, lo They're not going to take, take charge of it. Vi pita And this is what I was talking about a couple of days ago, right? If I, say, if I take my bread and I'm just, I transfer ownership of it to everyone. I don't actually go and collect from each person. But I just say, this bread in this basket, Zaki. Yeah, I'm making it belong to everybody. And they, like we, I mentioned the other day at the end of the show, I think we had already turned off the recording, but I mentioned at the end of the show that whenever you make an eruv, whether it's eruv tavshilin, whether it's eruv chatzirot, whether anything, you have to make it the, the, the possession of the people that, are, that you're making it on their behalf. So you have to transfer ownership of it. And I had mentioned that one time it happened that I discovered that somebody who was doing it for the community, not here, when, when mm-hmm. I was much younger, didn't know that and was just doing it and saying I'm doing this for everyone and he wasn't transferring ownership of it to everyone and then I I asked him who do you transfer ownership through, who do you use, and he said what do you mean, I didn't know about that so so he's saying you have to transfer ownership of the bread he said I could do that but, but if somebody actually knocks on my door and asks for it but then they're going to come and actually ask for it and I can't back that up Meaning like, I don't have the money to actually give them the bread. You, you have to really mean it, right? So if, they, if the guy actually knocks on the door and says, Oh, I heard that you uh, transferred ownership of part of the bread to everybody in the community. I'd like my piece, please. I'm hungry. I, I can't afford to give out bread every week, right? So it's like, when, it's like when people sell their chametz and then they say, Well, if the non-Jew knocks on the door and says, Hello, I'd like my bread, you have to let him take it, right? So it says, So so it says, Right, so if you have somebody in the mavoi, if they don't actually give the food from the shituf that supposedly every member of the mavoi had a portion in it, and they don't give it to them, so batela shituf, so then the shituf will not work. The partnership is just fake. So abai says, I can't afford to say that this is really going to belong to everyone because what if they call it they, You know, they come to, to, to you know to call me out on it, and I can't deliver. No, it has to be enough for two meals for every person. Enough for two meals for every person. Right, so, yeah, yeah. So, so here's the solution. In other words, we said that it depends on what kind of food you use. So, if you use a food that is, that you, that two meals, at two meals you use very little, like for example, let's say you used hummus. Okay? How much, now, for a normal person, okay? How much, how much hummus do you actually eat? A little bit, you dip something in the hummus. You don't eat it. Right, so it's a dip. So let's say you had enough for each person for two meals of hummus, shouldn't be so 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 much right, okay. right? shouldn't for the whole right world. for the whole community See, should be right should be a certain amount so so he told them use vinegar Sim, same thing they used to use vinegar I mean they still do use vinegar cool. as a dip it's a considered a, it's a dip it's a dip so right so since it's a dip you don't need that much per person since it's a dip you only need enough of the dip. That is, uh, uh, you know, that will be su- sufficient for each person for two meals. How much vinegar do you dip your bread in at the meal? A, a small amount, right? So why can't you do that? So Tanya, and Mr. Ba-otar said you can't do that because they were saying, go- you have barrels of vinegar in the basement, right? It's usually, it's probably formerly wine, you know, that's spoiled, whatever they use as vinegar. said so, why don't you, uh, why don't you just use that? Use the vinegar that you have in the barrels in the basement. You're not going to, you know, and if somebody comes and asks you for a little bit of vinegar, it's no big deal, right? So he says, no, you can't do it, you can't use something which is in the storehouse. Why not? Because since you're always taking from that, in other words, whenever you need more vinegar, you go down there and you take some. So you can't identify... What in those barrels is really part of the eruv and what is not? Because it's just a huge barrel. So you're going to take all the time. And what are you going to say? Whatever's left over belonged to the eruv. How can you do that? Right? We have a bride that says you can do it. So what's the case? Can you or can't you? It's a makhluk between Beit and Beit actually. actually. Wow. How so? Because did we not relearned. We had, we've had this case before. This is the famous question, the famous issue of Brirak. Yesh bravery or en can you re- retroactively assign something okay retroactively because what are you going to say you're going to say I take out the vinegar and whatever vinegar is left that's what I meant to be the eruv. so you're after the after the fact you're saying that uh, that what was the uh, mafreya you're saying backwards that, that whatever I left over that was what I reg- originally meant Okay? so And what's the case? Somebody dies. The rule is that if somebody dies in a house and you have multiple exits through which the dead body could be oh, taken yeah, out, yeah. so they, everything in all of those doorways will become tame- automatically unless you designated one to be the exit, right? If you open one with the intent of taking the body out from that direction, right? In other words, you know which one it's going to be. Right? So uh, if you thought you were going to take the body out from one way. Or, or you have a window that is four by four, so it's large enough to uh, bring the body out. In other words, you had a specific intent in mind. Then it will save all of the doorways. In other words, even if there wasn't one that was already open, but you had in mind that you were going to uh, take out a, a specific way. That's only true, says Beit if you had that in mind before he died. You can't say, after he already died, and after all the tum'a already descended, say, "Oh, uh, uh, I, I, I was thinking I'm going to use this doorway. You, it's too late." According to Beit Beit Mutamet, even after the death occurs, you can still do it. In other words, what that means is that he's—it's a machloket about or yesh or in whether you can retroactively assign which door was the one or not. So Beit, Sh- Beit Shammai is saying, listen, if you said it in advance, fine. But if after the person died, you say, oh, this door that I was, pl- the, the, whatever door I pick was the one that really all along I was going to ultimately pick. It was, you know, I, and, and therefore retroactively, the Mafreya, it's, it's assigned as, as the door, and therefore all of the other doorways are going to be torim. So that according to Beit Tilel, that will not work. According to Beit Shammai, that works. I'm sorry, the other way around. According to Beit Shammai, that won't work. Because he says, in you can't retroactively say, oh, what I choose now is really what I meant originally, beforehand. But Betilel says, you could. You could say, what I choose now is what I meant beforehand. Now, the interesting thing is, according to that, if you say that, and Rashi says, Damrinan, right? So the thing is that, according to that, though, once you say that it is... Uh, that, that it, it, it's dependent upon the uh, d- discussion between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. So then really, be- Abaye should have gone with uh, Beit Hillel. <coughs> in other words, so then why doesn't, he ele- why doesn't he agree that you could take the b- barrel of vinegar and say, whatever I left over in there, I- I'm taking every day, but whatever I leave over, that's what I intended to be as part of the Yeruv. Why couldn't he do that then? <coughs> if you're already saying, right, so, uh, and this is what Tosafot asks on the side. He says, if so, then you're saying that Abaye was following Beit Shammai? That, uh, that that B'cham, that Beit uh, that that Abaye is gonna is going to say that uh, uh, you know that that, uh, that doesn't exist and he's following Beit Shammai or it could just be that he doesn't agree that Beit Shammai and Beit argued about this and he actually thinks that everyone agrees that retroactive assignment doesn't work it must be that according to Abaye he doesn't agree that Beit would say that it's okay and he's not going to rely on Beit it couldn't be it must be that Abaye didn't agree with this conclusion, but the Gemara doesn't actually make that clear, which is interesting. It just objects this to Ab- Abaye and never tells us what Abaye said about it. It doesn't say what his answer was. But in any case, moving forward, <speaking in> baby? <Hebrew> the same problem that they spilled the water that was ready for the break. <speaking in Hebrew> Ask the mother, <speaking in Hebrew> if the mother needs Water, because the mother is obviously a Yoleddit. she's recently given birth, and therefore her health is sensitive. And uh, there are some exceptions made. So, like for the first three days, we assume that she's basakana. Uh, that's uh, very urgent. And then from day three to day seven, it's if she feels that she, you know, that she needs something, we do it for her. This is the halachot of Yom Kippur. Also, somebody gives birth right before Yom Kippur. If it's within three days, we assume that she can't uh, fast. If it's after three days, between four and seven, we ask her, "How do you feel?" And if she says, uh, "You know," depending on her feeling, we, we determine what she should do. After that, we treat her basically as a, a, a normal case. So this is already the eighth day, obviously, because it's the Brit Milah. So the question is, you can ask the mother, do you need something? If she needs something, we can ask a non-Jew to do it because because she's still considered sick. She's not considered to be cholashesh it's not the situation where she's in urgent danger. But for a sick person, you're allowed to ask a non-Jew to do something. Directly. <coughs> Directly. You can ask a non-Jew if a person is sick. So... So ask her, and if she needs it, we'll heat up the water. So, says that the, the, this mother is already eating dates. She's already eat, eating khorma. So, obviously, if she's already eating khorma, that's a sign of health. We know that. That's why we eat it, because it uh, keeps you healthy, allegedly, right? It's, and it solves every problem. It's all you have to eat before a fast, according to my family. You just eat that, and you'll be set. It's very good, yeah, that's what they're saying. Yeah, so that, uh, so so she's, she seems to be eating normally. Is the point? She doesn't seem sickly. So if that's um, if that's the case, so then we should. Uh, uh, if that's the case, then we then then really well, how can you justify breaking Shabbat on her behalf? So he says, "Amale be almahu. It could be that she's in such a stupor, you know, that she's really uh, uh, traumatized. She's just eating. She doesn't even know what she's eating. Right? It's like they also eat the food that they bring in the hospital. It's horrible, but they eat it anyway. Right? So obviously she doesn't have discernment. She's just eating whatever is put in front of you. So, so therefore you can't determine from the fact that she's eating that she's okay. Ask her, do you need hot water? Is there anything that we can do for you if she says yes? So heat up the water for the mother who is sick, and, that way, and then we can use that water for the baby. Okay, Now again... Uh, so there, I said, "Tunb almo al- She has. Story, I didn't know. Oh, well, not, nothing yet. But how we, It's all the cases about water that's spilled. That didn't have anything really to do with it, except that it connects to the idea of asking a non-Jew to do something. Another, not only can you ask a non-Jew to do something that's rabbinically prohibited, if there's a mitzvah involved, but you can ask him even to heat up water if there's a sick person involved. That's that's so it's connected to that theme. Right. And then how are we Yanuka. He said, listen, uh, we have a problem because they didn't have, again, an Erovei to be able to bring the uh, things from one place to another. And Rava was in a different Chatser in this case, as we're going to see. In this case, Rava was living in a different khatzer, And Rashi says, Rava there was hot water in the chater of Rava, but not in the Khatir where the baby was located. And the, and the baby that had the water was in a different Khatir. Okay, So the thing was that each Khatir had its own eruv, but they weren't together. They, meaning they had a door separating them, and as we learned, when you have two two chatzeot, that each of them has their own exits and entrances and stuff, they don't have to be connected to each other, but if they want to, they could be. Now, they weren't. So he said, so if, if you look, there's a little drawing in the Rashi here, um, but the point is he said that uh, He had certain places in his house that were back rooms that were where the women stayed and the men's quarters were towards the front of the house for the sake of uh, privacy and things like that. And, um, and the thing was he said move my things into the rear of the house which is usually the women's quarters so I remember not to bring anything from my house into the chatser and I will be Mivatil, I will nullify our... Uh, rights to the Chatser, to this other Chatser. Now remember, we discussed that. Can people in Chatser A relinquish their rights to people in Chatser B? saying, listen, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, on behalf of the community, I guess whoever else was in there, they had already had an Eruve Chatserot, so he was doing it on their behalf. He was saying, I'm going I'm to uh, relinquish rights to, I, let's say he lived in Chatser B. I'm just making it up. So let's say he uh, said, I'm going to relinquish rights to Chatser B. The people in Chatser A Will now have the uh, will now have the uh, uh, the rights to the entire area of both Chatsir A and Chatsir B, and therefore they can come into my house and they can take the hot water and they can bring it back to their Chatzer. So that's that will allow them because normally since these two Chatsirs did not unify with each other, they wouldn't be allowed to carry things from one place to the other. So that was the solution. Well, okay. Well that we're gonna to get to that. So yeah, you're right. So now he says so uh so, so and he said, put my things into the back chamber so I don't forget and carry things into the Khatzer, that way I'll remember oh. not to do it and, and I won't ruin it. Okay? So um Vib Tilwa ha So he says, right? Didn't Shmuel say you can't do that. Amaly Anakira I hold like Rabbi Yochanan. The Amar Yesh oh. bitul mechater. Mechater who says you can. So since these two chaterot could have unified into one if they wanted to, they can also nullify uh, and, and relinquish rights one to the other. Vilos avar la He said if, if you didn't hold like Shmuel, Ne'ev Mor Beduchte ve'Nivtel Lehu Ledidhu ve'Ni'adru Inhu ve'Nivtelu Leilamor. So if you hold it, once you're rejecting Shmuel's position and you're going through Rabbi Yochanan, so you don't have to spend the whole day uh, uh, in in the back room uh, within the women's chambers. All you have to do is relinquish your rights to the chaser temporarily. They will come in and take whatever they need, and then they can give you back your rights to the chazir. because according to Shmuel, not, uh, Shmuel is also, also says you can't change the format on Shabbat, meaning once you've relinquished your rights, you can't take them back. But Rabbi Yochanan, or we're going to see, it's not a, actually Rabbi Yochanan, but the, the other position is that you're allowed to even change the format on Shabbat itself, meaning why do you have to make this for the entire Shabbat? relinquish your rights to the Chatzar, let them come take the water, and then take back your rights to the Chatzar. Have them give it back to you. What's the problem? Shmuel is the only one who says that you can't switch back and forth on Shabbat. He says you can't, Relinquish rights from one chazir to the other, and he also says you can't search back and forth. So, so why can't they do that? The Hamarav, Rav said, Rav says, you can go back and forth. In other words, I can relinquish my rights to you, you can come into the chazir and take things from there, and then you can relinquish it back to me, and I can come and take things from your chazir. In other words, we can keep going back and forth. So he says, he says, listen, in this I follow Shmuel I'm not consistent, right? When it comes to whether you can nullify uh, or relinquish rights across chatserot, I hold like Rabbi Yochanan. But when it comes to whether you're allowed to switch back and forth, I say no. So the Gemara asks, wait, Isn't it the same reasoning? Isn't it the same reasoning? What's the reason why once you've relinquished your rights to the chacer, you can't get them back, right? The person can't relinquish it back to you. Isn't it because once you've nullified your rights to the chacer, you've basically said, I'm not a member here. I'm not a member of this community. I'm a a visitor. I'm a guest. I'm giving up my rights. So you can't just now re-enter the picture. It's as if you are a member of a different chatser. In other words, it's the same logic. So in other words, it's the same logic. Why can't I get my rights back once I relinquish them? Because it's as if I'm not a member of this chatser anymore, because what did I do? I relinquished my rights to the members of the other chatser, which means that now that other chatser owns this chatser, and I'm just a stranger. Yeah. Right? So, I, so it's the same logic. Why, so if you say that you can nullify your rights from chatser to chatser, right so yeah, and you're allowed to give up your rights from one chatzir to the other so then you should all, that also means that you should be able to get them back but if you can't in other words he's saying what's the reason the why what, well what's history. the reason what's the reason why you can't retract your uh, bitul because once you've done a bitul it's like you've pu- you've taken yourself out of the picture and you're a member of a different chatzir. in other words it's the same he's saying it's the same logic it's, he's saying like this that ju- that the logic of why you can't retract, is because you can't be mevatel, meaning once you, you say that bitul doesn't cross chacerot. Right? Once you do a bitul, you're saying I'm part of a different chacer, I'm not part of this chacer anymore, I gave it up to the other guy. So just like you can't do bitul right, you also can't take it back. He's saying it, it goes, the two things go together because, it's, because doing bitul is taking yourself out of the picture completely. It's not okay. like like lulav. No, it's not. It's, not. it's, it it's giving It's it's giving. two to yeah. three, for What? You cannot say i a between, between... No, that's what it's saying. It's saying that's the, that's the whole issue. Shmuel is saying once it you give up... Law, yeah. So, so that's the thing. Rav is saying you could do that. Rav is saying uh, you can give it up and then you can take it back. You didn't exclude yourself from the whole picture. I think right? the exact identical logic. I think there's more to it when you R- take it back. Well he says that when you when you give it up he says it's like taking yourself completely out of the picture and so being part said of a different khater so me? if you it, it's shm- like saying, oh, shm- shm- right the guy comes saying oh I want it back now you can't hide back right it i hear you. yeah well that it's going to talk about that later once they come in and they start using it now do you have the ability to take it back anymore is a different question mm. the question is before they've actually used it can you take it back Okay, and So, so let, to make it simpler, let's just talk about a case where the guy said in the beginning, I'm null- nullifying my rights to you, and nobody's actually acted on that yet. He just said it. So the question is, can he retract it? Or can he, can he give it to you, and then you use it, and then he gives it back to you? Or like, you give a gift, and you give it back. So Shmuel is saying, once you've given up the rights, and the other people come in and they use it, they cannot now give it give back, it back, to, back you, to you, right? Because right. it's like you are part of another chaser. And, and Shmuel says, A members of different chatzorot can't nullify to each other. So in other words, if I'm living in chatzor B and you're living in A and I give up my rights to chatzor B to you, it's like I'm not in A or B anymore. I'm in C now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because now A took over B. Right. So the whole thing is, is is under A. So I'm like in C. So now if I want to get it back, it would be like you giving me More in chatzor C to rights bad. to chatzor B now. So it's like so so Shmuel is saying it's like same reasoning just like you can't nullify across chazerot once you nullify even within a chazer you're like it's like even within a right if you nullify yeah. so it's like you're not part of a anymore you're in your own little circle b, b. Right? And since Shmuel says you can't nullify from one chazir to the other, so now the people in chazir A hey, cannot nullify back to you because you're in a different chazir. That's what he's saying. Okay? Right? So that, that, that's the logic of it, right? So it does flow. So, it does, so the question is, why does, why is it that Ravah takes cherry picks here? Because he goes with, he goes with, uh, uh on one hand says you can nullify from I mean, one chazir to the other, right? So then according to that, so even within one chazir, right? Even within one chazir, if I nullify my rights, so even though I'm considered to be in another chatzir, they should be able to nullify it back to me. Right? right? It should go together. Mm-hmm. So why, why, why is it? Why is that, so according to that logic. So he says, the reason is that, uh nami lo right? So, so he I'm sorry, nami So he says, the same thing. Why does the, uh, you shouldn't be able to nullify your Rashut at all if you're saying like Shmuel that you're not allowed to retract because the two things go together. Not retracting is because, you're considered to be another khatzir. So he says, means to become a, a laughing stock. In other words, that he says, Look, I agree in principle that you would actually be able to relinquish back and forth. Because just because you relinquish to all the other people in your khatzir, and now you want to come back. So it's like relinquishing to people in a different khatzir, because you've made yourself a separate entity from the rest of the khatzir, and if they want to relinquish back to you, they could. Right? But it will make a joke out of it. Because people will say, oh, from two to three, it's yours. And then I'm going to do it back to, you know, it becomes a joke. They just keep playing. It becomes a game. And and, then. Right. The logic would actually stand. But we're not. Exactly. The logic makes sense. But Uh practically speaking, it's going to look very fishy. And it becomes a joke if everyone is uh, uh, passing it back and forth all day. Exactly. Yeah, which sometimes they get the reputation for that. (laughs) (laughs) So we go back. So this is the same thing. According to Rav, you can switch back and forth. Maybe we can actually boil down this machloka between Rav and Shmuel to another machloket that we encountered between the rabbis and Rabbi Eliezer. Now you probably won't remember because it's been a while. What was the machloket between Rabbi Eliezer and Rav? It was all the way back in Daf Kaf Vav. So it was like uh, two thirds of the Masechet ago. But But basically what you had there was according to Rabbi Eliezer, uh, according to the rabbis, uh, if a person it, it gives up their rights to the chaser, people cannot bring e- from his house into the chaser. They can only bring from their houses into the chaser. But in his house, he doesn't give up. So meaning his house is still a separate reshut. So they can't go into his house and bring into the chaser from there. Rabbi Eliezer says, no, when a guy gives up bitul reshut, he's even giving up his house. He's a guest in his own home. Right? Meaning... That, so they can even bring things from his house into the, let's say they found out that the, some sidurim were in his house and they needed it or something like that. They wouldn't be. They, so according to the rabbis, he doesn't give up rights to his house. So his house is still a separate reshut they can't bring from there into the chatzir. But according to Rabbi Eliezer, no, he even gives up his house. He's just a guest. So they can even bring things from his house into the chatzir. So it's saying maybe it's the same logic here that Rav is holding like the rabbis. And Ra- and Shmuel is holding like Rabbi Eliezer. How so? So Rashi says <laughs> because <laughs> meaning a person who gives up his rights the is not mistalek <laughs> He's not completely getting out of the picture, and there, he still has some position there, because he still has his house. So therefore, he could have his relinquishing reversed, because he never completely excluded himself from the picture. Shmuel holds like Rabbi Eliezer, that when you give up your reshut, you give up your rights to the chatzir, you're completely excluding yourself from that chatzir altogether. So now you can't go back and take it back. Right? So Rashi says... That once you gave up gave up the uh, rights of the khatir you gave up everything. So if you so once you gave up everything, so you cannot have it relinquished back to you because you're just a stranger now. You're, you're not a member of the khatir anymore for that Shabbat. You gave it up. Okay. So it says so that, that could be that that's what their machloket is. How absolute, how complete is the uh, the the removal of the self in the case of giving up the rights? If the, if it's absolutely complete, so then there's no way to relinquish it back. If it is only partial, because you still have a whole, you hold something, you still hold your house in the Chatser. So then it's not complete. So... When he does bitul Rishut, he's giving up his right to carry things in and out. The but question... Matter, matter, no, no, no. no. So he says, "Amalach Rab says, "No, I'm not." The Amrei Afiluker, Rabbi Eliezer. My position could even accord with that of Rabbi Eliezer. Adkalokam Rabbi Eliezer. Hatam ba'mivato olshut chatzel olshut beto bital. Mishum de'vabayit b'lo chatzel lodayer ina shei. He says, Rabbi Eliezer's logic has nothing to do with how absolute. The, uh, the, the Bitul Roshut is. It has to do with the logic of the Bitul Roshut. If you give up your right to the Chatser, who's going to have a house where they have absolutely not one inch of the space around the house uh, allocated to them? They're not going to live in that house. So, <coughs> so essentially, what you're saying is, I don't live here. Essentially, what we are saying is, it's not my house, okay. right? So, taluke but who said that that means that he can't have it relinquished back to him it's just that logically it doesn't make sense to give up your rights to the chatser and not to your house Shmuel will say also my position fits with the rabbis also because all the rabbis are saying is we only take the bitul of the person as far as what they said and they said we give up our rights to the chatser they never said I don't live here in this house but whatever the person was he completely he removes himself from it. In other words, therefore, we take his words to be absolute and he cannot then retract his statement that he, exa- that he uh, nullified his rights and, and they, can't re- they cannot return it to him. Okay? That has nothing to do with whether his bitur reshut includes his house or not. The question is how absolute is it? Whether it's reversible or not. We actually have this in the there, Rabbi Meir says in the, it's actually later on in the Mishnah that somebody who gave up their rights to the Chaser and then he and then he violated it and he brought stuff out into the Chaser, whether by accident or on purpose, he prohibits everybody because basically he nullified what he said. Right? Rebbe Uda says if it was on purpose, that's true. But if it was by accident, he doesn't ruin it. Maybe this is exactly the makhloket. That one is saying, so, in other words, just because you nullified doesn't mean that it can't be returned to you. Right? In other words, since you see that from going out into and carrying into the chater becomes yours again, because you ruined it, you ruined the bitul, because it becomes yours again. So you see, that it doesn't matter, according to Rabbi Meir. So if you went and you carried stuff into the chatzair, you are re, you're basically reversing the bitul that you did. Okay, so you see that, according to Rabbi Meir, you can change the the dynamic on Shabbat. According to Rabbi Yudaf, you bring things out on Shabbat. So, So it will not change the dynamic, okay? It doesn't change the dynamic automatically. If it's B'mezid, he he says that it would. But if it's B'shogeg, it won't. So that shows you that maybe the rabbis were strict if it's B'mezid because you're making a joke out of it, right? But really, technically, if it was B'shogeg, if if it was a matter of an absolute issue, so then even if you did a B'shogeg, it should revert back to you. So it says, Everyone agrees you can't switch back and forth. They're just arguing about the status of someone who does it by accident. The question is whether they treated the person who did it by accident the same way as they did the person who did it on purpose. In other words, everyone agrees that if a person goes out deliberately and brings something into the Khatir before, now the Rashi clarifies, it's talking about before the members of the mavoi or the Khatir had a chance to act on the person's uh, the bitul. So the person said before Shabbat, I am giving, or when Shabbat started, realized he didn't participate in the Eruv, and he says, I give up my rights to the Chatzir, so you guys, it all belongs to you guys, and, uh, who, and, and I was excluded from the Eruv, so I, I, you, your Eruv is good, because I'm giving up my rights, and you guys can use the Chatzir however you want. Right? So that person said that, so that but before anybody had a chance to act on that, and actually use the Chatzir, he brought his stuff into the Chatzir. Right? that's when it will cancel the uh, uh, the statement that he made. But if he made that statement, and then people were using the chatzar, and he decided to violate it and bring things into the chatzar, it won't actually retract what he said. Like you said, once you make something hefker, you can't go back. He's violating the prohibition of carrying into a chatzar that technically he's not supposed to. But he won't ruin it for everyone else, once um, it's already taken effect. But the question is, if he does it by accident, so if or he does it facts. before, if he does it before they have a chance to use it, he could still cancel his bitul, because his actions speak louder than words, and if he actually carries into the chatser before anyone else gets a chance to, he's showing he didn't really b'meizid. relinquish yeah. his rights, b'meizid. The question is, what do we do with bishogeg? Do we treat it the same as bemezid? Right? So the, and, and and that's the machloke. He says, I want to go back to the original interpretation. I think that Rav and Shmuel are really just arguing about the Say, Makhloket as Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim, that the whole question about whether you can retract or not is whether you're completely removed from the situation and therefore even your house becomes the possession of the people of the Chatzir, in which case there's nothing to revert to because you gave up everything you had. You're just a stranger. What are they going to relinquish to? You don't, have any, you don't have any position in the Chatser according to Rabbi Eliezer once you've done bitul Rashud that would be Shmuel's opinion that there's no retraction possible and Rab's opinion is no you still have the house there so even though you gave up rights to the Chatsir, so therefore there's something to work with and if they wanted to revert back to you and give you re, you know unrelinquish your rights they would be able to do that we don't have to but but the Gemara concludes that the uh, the issue between uh, between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda doesn't have to do anything with that issue it doesn't have to do with the issue of, of reverting back it has to do with the issue of when it hasn't taken effect yet, and the person carries into the chatser after relinquishing their rights, then carries into the chatser before anybody else had a chance to do it, if he does it by accident, does he show that he didn't really mean his bitul? If he does it on purpose, everybody agrees, he's showing he didn't really mean his bitul, he's nullifying it. But if he does it by accident, the question is, do we treat that the same as on purpose? However, once it's already taken effect, switching back and forth we don't have to assume that Rebbe Meir and Rebbe Yehuda were saying that it could switch back. We're, they weren't opining about that. They weren't giving a, a, any, any ruling about whether once the bitul does take effect, it could be undone or it could be reverted. That's a separate question between Rav and Shmuel. <laughs> okay, so it's a good question.